Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast all about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm and I'm joined by my dear friend, Natasha Moscarinas. Natasha, hi, and tell people where are we? We are at TC Early Stage. This is wild because it's, I think, the first in-person event TC's had since the pandemic. Yes. And the first time we've ever recorded Equity together. Yes. Surreal. I mean, if anyone could see our tech setup, our imposter syndrome would be crazy right now, but no, it's but fun. You learn stuff about your colleagues when you see them in person that you can't quite get over Zoom. For example, I learned today that Natasha has taken her MacBook Pro's keyboard and turned it into a desolate wasteland. <laughs> and which is evidence that I need to buy her an external keyboard for her birthday. It's super depressing how my keys have faded since the pandemic, but it's definitely like poetic. Like mine looks like I don't work because I use an external and I've gone through several, but like you've just cut through the actual plastic. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. But this is your return to San Francisco. Yes. How does it feel like, was Twitter right about how upsetting and sad San Francisco is? No, not at all. I mean, I haven't walked through the Tenderloin at night. But also, I've had an absolutely lovely time since we got here. Everyone's been just an absolute treat. Traffic hasn't been that bad. Weather is miserable, but I'm accustomed to that in San Francisco. It has to be, yeah. Yeah, so no, I'm, I feel great. And I'm not going to get to see everyone that I want to see and that I love, but I'm going to try to see as many folks as I can before I leave. And also my spouse came out, which is a lot of fun. So we're here together and it's just kind of a lovely, you know me, I love the Bay Area. Yeah, it's like a party. I feel like it's hard because I know we're journalists and we're like standoffish and like supposed to like hold power to people. But I'm also like, I'm going to hug you because I've interviewed you, not you. I'm talking about like investors. I'm like, I want to hug you because I have talked to you every week for the whole pandemic. I feel right. like I've talked to you more than my long distance best friends. Yes. It's crazy. And then TC early stage. I, I was mean, about it, to say. Let's start with maybe an update on what's happening today. We yeah. both had panels. We both had panels. Both of our panels went medium well to yeah. good. We both didn't flop at our first in-person event. <laughs> that was my biggest worry, like falling on stage. <laughs> for me, it's always running out of questions or needing to pee in the middle of the panel. Yes. Those are the two biggest ones for me. Like the panic inducing, like you can't fix it. You can. It's too late. But it didn't happen. And actually, I'm not to brag, but TechCrunch early stage sold out. Yeah. We're here at Pier 27. It's bumping. I'm having a good time. I, the coffee is bad and the best there's way. lots of it. <laughs> I know. So far, I've talked to Peter Boyce, the second former general catalyst, and he's now starting Salation Capital. We talked about how to nail a Series A. It was kind of nice to see him be super optimistic about it being still a founder-friendly market. He kind of coyly was like, based on the term sheet I signed yesterday, it is definitely still a founder-friendly. <laughs> that was a good quote. Yeah. And I guess I like that because on like a founder who would have an incentive. I mean, this is the person that's writing the check. So we know that the market, even though we've been talking about on the show a lot, the market's cooling down in the public. Series A, some companies don't need to like completely change everything. Yeah, if you take a red hot coal from the fire, put it on the air, it doesn't immediately chill to room right. temperature. It has to, you know, decay a little bit. And that's what's happening with the funding market. I talked to Elliot from Asterix PR about earned media this morning, which was actually quite a lot of fun. And then right after we record this, I'm going to jump on stage with Mary Denofrio from Bessemer to talk about scaling ARR. I don't know anything about SaaS. So I'm really, really upset and terrified. It's like about a really moment. weird topic for them to give you. It's going to be a lot of fun. Mary's been on the podcast before too. So that's going to be fun. I've been mining Mary's brain for so many years now. And we were emailing and she was like, you know, we've never met in person. And I was like, are you Whoa, serious? Okay. Like I have dragged her into so many TechCrunch events over the years. Like you think I would have yeah. once like bought her a coffee, but no. <laughs> it's, so that's why it's nice to be back in person. I haven't seen a lot of folks. I've missed everybody terribly. And here's to a slow and hopefully safe return to a little bit something closer to normalcy. Yeah. I mean, the summer schedule for TC events is packed. Oh my God. Which kind of makes me excited even though I hate traveling. And I mean, shameless plug for those of you who didn't come to TC early stage, we are going to have a recap of all the posts on TechCrunch Plus 
right? Yeah. Within the week. So next week we'll have tons of recaps about what's going on. But we are telling you all this because if you hear in the background people talking, that's because we are hiding out in the green room here. And so if the audio quality is different, it's because we're holding our mics and someone was running a vacuum earlier. Yeah. Liza is our bodyguard. Yes. My my (laughs) wife is here. Davindi does from people talking to us. But let's go ahead and jump into it because there's quite a lot to talk about. And I want to say I had jet lag this morning and so I was up ridiculously early in bed looking at my phone and that was good. It was propitious. It was fortuitous because Elon Musk has made a bid to purchase Twitter. Now, not startup news, Natasha, but certainly the biggest news in tech today. 100%. And I want to ask you more about your thesis for the exchange this morning because you wrote about it. But the move for him to offer to buy Twitter for, I think, $43 after joining the board, not joining the board because of maybe a background check. And then overall, there being a Twitter investor that sued him due to a disclosure of stake. I mean, lack of disclosure of stake. I don't think it's even helpful for everyone to fully run through every single step of how we got here. But I do think it's helpful to be like, why is Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter? Like, why was that the move? I thought 9% was enough. When you discuss people who have a lot of power and an ability to follow their emotions, I think finding the core why behind something is tough. And also, probably, even if we had a really good guess, it would be incomplete. Like, if you post, part of it is the enjoyment of making noise, being a little random, pushing buttons. And Elon Musk is, you know, even if you like him quite a lot, a bit of a troll. 100%. So to me, this reads like he bought 9% of Twitter, expected to get his way. They offered him a board seat, which is super boring because being on a public company board... And then he realized probably he wasn't going to have the sway that he wanted. And so in a fit of pick, seems to have decided to buy the whole company. It's an interesting move for Twitter employees. I mean, Elon is a market mover notoriously, but I didn't have Elon bringing up Twitter shares around 12%. So they're currently trading at around $51 per share just compared to yesterday's closing price. And it's like, okay, Elon impacting Tesla's price, fine. This was not something I could have predicted. And I mean, I think it's something that like jokes aside is pretty frustrating to have to cover in a way because you know that he's just messing around. He's not actually going to buy this thing, right? Well, I also didn't think that they were going to be able to ramp up Model 3 production at the pace they did. And I also didn't think that they were going to be able to land the uh, stage ones of Falcon 9 rockets on uh, drone ships. Oh my God. So with Elon, you always have to kind of go with maybe. Now, in this case, this bid, I don't think is super serious. He's put out $54.20 per share, getting the key 420 number in there for 100% of Twitter, all cash, value Twitter at $43.4 billion. And to me, it's a little bit cheap. It's too low. Now, he's making a point that it's a premium based on where the stock was before he bought into it, but I don't think that's the right measurement. Yeah. I think really their kind of Q3, Q4 pricing from last year is where Twitter investors want to get back to, which is more in the $60 to $70 per share range. And $43 billion for Twitter with the growth they had last year and their expectations just seems kind of bullshit. I mean, let's not forget Twitter very loudly has been like, we need to double revenue by 2023. Yes. They have a lot of things they have to do. And this is a huge distraction. It's something that's going to probably taking up a lot of Prague's time, their new CEO. Oh, yeah. And so I kind of find it at a very not casual, quiet time for Twitter. We've seen their products, we've seen their goals. New CEO, Jack leaving. Elon joining is just like adding more fuel to the fire. Well, Elon not joining, like sitting down at a table he wasn't invited at (laughs) and then demanding to tell everyone else how to use their forks. The best and worst guest. Best and worst guest. Yes. You will never be bored but you'll also be glad when they leave. Yes. Yes. Um, We've all had a friend like that. (laughs) Well, I'll end this maybe Elon section with a quote from him. He basically said, since making my investment, I now realize that the company, aka Twitter, will neither thrive nor serve this societal imperative, obviously subtweeting free speech in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. He wants to bring Twitter private. Yeah, but he was tweeting the other day about how they should have Twitter without the W. Of course he was. And I don't think he was referring to small bits of laughter. (laughs) 
he wasn't tittering <laughs> yeah. about that. And so what to me, guy. like he's not he's not being serious. Twitter is a very important company. It really now, is. It's a private company in that it's not owned by the government. And that means that it does have its own ability to make and determine its own speech. I was thinking private in like public versus private. Exactly. I'm just clarifying for people who might be okay. thinking about private enterprise versus private company. Obviously, Twitter is a private company that is currently on the public markets. He wants to make it a private company that's also on the private markets. Got you. But critically, when we talk about free speech, the public government versus private corporate split. It's using similar language. It's a little confusing. Yeah. Twitter does matter a lot because it is a place where a lot of speech happens. A lot of people around the world talk on it. It has over 200 million monetizable daily active users or MDAOs, which is a terrible metric. But I just don't trust it in Elon's hands, given that he doesn't seem to appear to be ready to treat with a similar level of seriousness as he does with his other business endeavors. And Twitter is my baby. And I am a Twitter Blue subscriber. And I'm sure I own some shares in it through index funds. So, you know, piss off. Yeah. Elon making things complicated was what we expected from the start. We're going to continue covering our equity because yes, we yes, have yes, to. Yes, yes. It was funny. We actually originally had this section as like a quick mention, but then this morning. he wanted to buy it. So yep. it'll keep happening. But let's maybe talk about more serious things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Deal. Yeah. Now, Deal is a startup that we've talked about on the show here and there. And it's not spelled D-E-A-L. It's not about getting a good deal. It's about Deal. D-E-E-L. Oh, startup names. Oh, startup names. The good news is, in this case, it's actually relatively memorable because it's Deal. Ah, the one that's spelled wrong. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. That should be their, their new slogan. <laughs> I'm sure their I'm sure their comm team's gonna love that I said that. <laughs> what matters is the company just announced this week that they have crossed the 100 million dollar ARR threshold, and they posted a chart showing how they're the fastest ever to 100 million in ARR. Essentially, looking at them versus Slack and so yeah, forth. it was kind of a funny chart, right? I like vaguely saw it. I mean, they just like tweeted it out of nowhere. Yeah, and so I had to go figure out this was news. Okay, okay. I was like, Marianne, you covered deal. Did they announce this before? And she was like, No. So we had to go back and fact check the news item. Okay, fun. And really what matters is Deal helps people hire other employees around the world. So if you want to hire someone in Berlin or Bangalore or Bangladesh or Bahrain, you can use Deal and they will essentially, for a monthly fee, handle the local work of hiring that worker. So in the remote slash hybrid world, they're doing quite well. Okay, let's contextualize it even a little bit farther, which is we talked about hop-in, layoffs. Clubhouse, I kind of associate as like a remote company, a company that really like wanted to capitalize on people being at home and wanting yeah. to chat with each yep. other. Deal feels like... One of the more successful wins of the remote workspace right now. But I mean, is it a surprise to you to see them hit this mark? It was a surprise because I figured that it was a BS number. And I don't mean this as a diss against deal, just in the wake of fast and how yeah. they talked about their growth versus what the numbers actually were. I'm very now poisonedly skeptical of startup numbers. I was like, we don't know the gross margin profile of this. We don't know how they're calculating it. So I sent them some emails and I kind of dug into it a little bit. Deals, gross margins are in the SaaS range or a little bit better, they're okay. saying. The way they calculate ARR is the value of their monthly recurring fees for having employees manage to their platform times 12, which is imminently reasonable. So actually it turns out it's a real number and they're growing very quickly and they can go public very soon. So I was happy to find out that it wasn't BS. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. I actually forgot that there can even be gray room with something like ARR because that is the dream metric to get. So when I get it, I just kind of take it. Well, that's why there's, there's gray area because everyone wants to have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they kind of mold their crap into something right. that looks like ARR. With Deal and their valuations, fundraising, I mean, are we going to see them raise really soon? Like, do you think they did this because they're about to raise? Or what's the benefit of announcing that you've hit 100 million in ARR at a time like this? Well, hiring. 
Mm, yeah. Think about all the companies out there that have raised a lot of money at a high price that look great and aren't actually growing that quickly. Yeah. You want to crush them in a hiring conversation when someone's stuck between two jobs, one of which is at your company? Be like, well, you didn't know we just hit 100 million ARR and we're going to go public in 18 months. And so if you join now, your stock's going to become liquid really soon. No BS. Come join the rocket ship. Let's kick some butt. Be straight up. Yeah. My friends are considering joining big tech because they're looking for stability. So like it's smart <laughs> of deal to be pretty loud about it being stable. I feel sorry for our friends. They become our focus group for all things technology. I'm like, well, my friends who currently work at the big four think that, and I'm like, they just want to play video games yeah, with me. Yeah, they don't care. Like, their job is not their identity, unlike my, me. <laughs> it's also our lifestyle. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, this is what we're doing. I had one last question about deal. Actually, it was not about deal, but 100 million ARR as a figure that we ah. care about. You used to write a column about it. I did. And you stopped writing the column. I did. Are we bringing it back? No. <laughs> Why? I, I think the figure was really important for a while to like understand startups that were growing in a trustworthy way. Maybe that's not the right word. Yeah, kind of a more honest, open, Impressive. clear way. And you retired it because it started being less of a signal. It was less of a signal and also it got boring. And yeah. if I'm bored, I presume the audience is. The stories all ended up kind of being the same because it turned out that 100 million ARR was a point at which companies have been kind of like baked. Yeah. And so it's like taking a cake out of the oven and being like, no, let's talk about recipes. Like it was a little bit late. So I moved it down to 50 million ARR and it turns out that's kind of the same. So the column, the idea, it became this big, I'll just be honest, like kerfuffle with PR people and trying to get numbers and it was just, it wasn't worth it. I don't think it was that interesting anymore. Yeah. So I let it go. But it's an important metric to hit because historically when I was learning about the public markets, $100 million in revenue was the minimum to go public. Wow. And now it's like, no, you're probably just raising a series B. <laughs> See, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually have a $100 million ARR story. This week I wrote about Handshake acquiring its first ever company. Handshake is the... The recruiting platform that a lot of college students use. Yes. I checked our last TC story about them and they were just like, in 2021, we're about to hit 100 million in ARR. So I emailed them and I was yeah. like, so what's up? And they're like, oh, we hit it. And I was like, okay. And then they updated, they sent me an email being like, actually, we didn't hit it yet. <laughs> and I updated it saying, never mind. And then they emailed me again saying, wait, that's not the update we wanted. Can you say that we are nearing 100 million and are actually going to probably pass it? And so I did two updates. I was in a little bit of a sassy mood, but I mean, it just was- I like, would feel sassy after that. Yeah. If like, you tell me you did something and then tell me you didn't and then complain with how I correct the thing that you lied to me about. Even if it was unintentional, I still wrote about it and told the public with my reputation and my yeah. publications rep on the line and no beef with Handshake. Like no. obviously they're not being malicious. And we're humans. We mess up. Yes. But you will get sassed if you ask me to update the update to the update of my correction. And be a good sport about it is all I yeah. ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's move on. Let's move on. Oh, by the way, just on your point about 100 billion ARR, six months ago, we would have been like, this is the IPO list. And then no one's going public. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. totally. All right, so I want to move us along right now and talk about crypto, but not from the usual perspective. We had Jackie on earlier this week, great conversation about tokens, equity, venture capital, all this. In this case, though, we're going to talk a little bit about a startup that's allowing people to split bills, and there's a crypto component to it, and I'm just super excited to hear about this. So yes. tell me about Braid. Yeah, so I wrote about Braid, which is basically trying to do a new twist, if I can make a pun on their name, with how friends share money together. So yes. instead of, I guess like there is a world where it's, okay, Alex pays for dinner and we all Benmo him, and that's fine. Yeah. But what if Alex and his book club want a ongoing fund for them to just swipe their card in when they're buying book club snacks? It's kind of the idea of like, you should have shared wallets with friends that you kind of have ongoing and clear events where you don't really want one person to be the money manager or mock CFO of this whole friend group and instead want to have this fund where you can just swipe together. I love the idea. And the reason it's connected to crypto is the CEO, Amanda Payton, was like, we're not a crypto company, but of course we're benefiting from this mind share right now of decentralization of power, yeah. of sharing 
awakening and of community. So we kind of get to benefit from the culture awakening of crypto without necessarily needing to bet on like the currency as the main way our company will succeed. So is the back end of Braid cryptocurrency based or is it just traditionally financed and it just is benefiting from the same kind of like cultural wave of crypto? Yeah, the latter. Ah, okay. They're planning on it making sure that eventually you can put some of your crypto money inside a shared wallet. Of course. Who wouldn't? But their main goal right now is like making shared wallets more mainstream among consumers and they don't want to like disenfranchise people accidentally by making it even more confusing because already sharing money is complicated. There's so much room for like, I mean, I'm actually curious, like I, I feel like it'd be fun to play out. Like would sure. you put $100 per month in a fund and like trust your immediate friend group to wait until your Europe trip this summer to spend it? <laughs> so the problem is whenever I talk about my friends on the podcast, they listen, well, some of them listen to the show and then they repeat back what I said about them in the group text and I get flamed. Oh God. So I'm going to say with my friends, I would put $1,000 a day into that fund because I, I have nothing the group chat. but the most up- <laughs> Standing respect for them. <laughs> Natasha, they are all future senators, <laughs> Congress people. The answer is maybe, but the book club idea is good. I would love to have a thing that I could just oh kick in 15 bucks and not worry about going to Whole Foods before book club and buying carrots. Right. I actually tried to get my partner to do this a couple of times and he refuses. But the idea of having like a date night fund where we just like have a credit card and we kind of just like, we know it's both of our money. It's just kind of fun in that way. But I think it's worth being like with Braid, with any company that's trying to make us share money. It's not always with your first group of friends or your partner. It might be with like a concentric circle. Yeah. So there's room for bad actors. Like I feel like it'd be kind of fun to like, some, some of the ideas I thought about. What happens if you're in a pool with your friends and you realize that they have a secret group chat, they're talking shit and you kind of want to pull out, but half a thou is in that pool. What happens? And so these are the questions that fintechs are going to have to ask. I think you have to treat it like loaning money to a friend, which is you never expect to get it back. So if you put money into the pool, it's like dropping a quarter into a pool. It sinks to the bottom and it's gone. It's too much trouble to get back out. Yeah. Right. So here's my question, though. Thinking about this versus something like Venmo or Splitwise, a Providence, Rhode Island-based company. Oh, no. I love Splitwise. Splitwise okay. is like the hometown hero. Yeah. Is the advantage here that it's the ambient pool in place that you can pull from and contribute to? Exactly. Is there like a leaderboard for who's contributed the most? <laughs> no, I don't think there is. There is, though, I think a kind of a nifty features to make sure that it's really transparent on who's spending what. So like, ah. you're not going to have to ask permission to pull money from that pool. Even if it's for the Europe trip, you're going to have a debit card, an account number and routing number that you can pull from the moment the pool is created. So they have a kind of dashboard that'll show all transactions. You as the creator of the pool or the shared wallet can shut on and off people's access to Interesting. spending. So I kind of love that as like kind of some sort of boundary of like, okay, Natasha should not be spending more than $10 a day from this pool. If she is, that's not, it's not even allowed. You'll get canceled. You'll get canceled. <laughs> they all have to go on Netflix and do a comedy special. Oh no. Or Love is Blind and completely ruin brown boys for all of society. It's a niche reference, but if you know, you know. So let's unpack that love is blind is the one when you can't see the person yes and what's the one when it's like either get married or break up either get married or oh the new one yeah the new one uh it's uh, I, I know what you're talking about it's actually from the producers of love is blind oh I'm not the so, ultimatum the ultimatum oh my god actually i'm watching that okay this weekend. good now what's brown boys yeah so shake from love is blind was like the most hated character on the show depending on who you ask if okay. you ask me that is the answer oh you mean brown boys as men who are brown colored not yes. a musical group called brown boys oh yes sorry oh. he's making brown boys have a bad rep i think about braid and the braid connection with brown boys so sorry to do this to you amanda but it's like you need to make sure that the people that you're sharing and have a reason to share with are people you trust. Right, yes. <laughs> and I like boundaries. It's not the most social fintech, let's run like crazy, but it's like, I want the kind yeah, of- Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, There's a lot I like about Braid. I hope it does well because I like the idea of having conversations about money be a little more public. Yes. I think that we suck at talking about money as a society and a culture. And this is going to be also a great way to absolutely destroy a couple of friendships in spectacular Ooh. fashion. So we will all have some tea to spill in the drama chat thing. That yes. was my attempt at being- <laughs> 
with it. No, but it's a great point. We don't talk about money enough. You're really good at this. Money's an emotional thing and destigmatizing it is like so important. Well, it's because I didn't have enough of it growing up at times. And yeah. so I had to work with my siblings on managing money and my parents didn't talk about money. Yeah. And so my oldest sister and I were like, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Rip the bandaid off. And this is one way, right? Like you're talking to your friends about something like, hey, you didn't put in your $30 this month. What's going on? Oh, actually, Natasha, put you on the spot here. Yeah. You're in a serious relationship, but you're not married. Yes. And so married. you guys, I presume, have some sort of financial coordination. Would you set up a pool with your partner as a way, not just for date night, but I mean for like, let's say rent or like something that was bigger. Like, would this be a solution to that? Like, we're not married yet. If you do choose to go that path, yeah. no pressure. And our finances are separate. Is this like a stepping stone towards integrated money? I think so. I think this is also like, can you as a relationship test yourself to be very transparent and rely on each other with money? Right now yeah. I buy coffee for Sean. He buys me coffee sometimes. That's kind of the level of like us interacting with our money. Okay, yes, date night and other stuff. But that's the main thing. Rent is going to add a whole other dynamic into our relationship. Oh, yeah. So I actually am such a fan of finances being a big part before we ever choose to do something more formal. And so I'm 100% already pushing him on this and I'll keep you guys updated on if it works. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, like one of the things that made me even more confident to marry Liza was that we had already begun to think about money as a shared. She's the CFO of your relationship. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'm the investment advisor. She's the CFO. Yes. Actually, she's more the, like the accountant because she'll bring stuff to you and be like, what's this? And they'll be like, oh, what did I buy in March? That's Sham. And I'm kind of like happy <laughs> that we both have found people that make us have to like explain ourselves. We needed it. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, let's move along here and talk about Latin America, kind of a pivot from the stuff we've been talking about, but a very important startup scene. And one that I'll just say, if you want to learn more about what's going on in Latin America, Anaheim for TechCrunch Plus has been doing some great reporting this week on what's been going on. So shout out to her for covering my column for me while I was traveling. She's the best. Use code equity for a discount on TechCrunch Plus. Oh, that's right. Good call. But the point is we've seen some deceleration in the Latin American venture capital scene that Anna did write about. And so Natasha, here we are sitting here looking at this deceleration and yet SoftBank's making news in Latin America. Yeah, so SoftBank, I mean, Latin America was one of SoftBank's first international kind of stances it took. At the time, they kind of set up a huge fund and they told TC actually that by 2023, SoftBank was planning to invest 30 billion in the region per year. So not casual amount of money. Not at all. <laughs> this week, actually at night, SoftBank announced that it is spinning out its early stage arm that focuses on Latin America into a new independent firm, Upload Ventures, they're still the biggest LP, so it's not really a breakup or giving up, but more like we should separate and we want to really still be involved. It's an interesting move. We don't see, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't see too much spin outs happening no. within venture firms of no. like a fund turning into a firm. No. It's opposite. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine the relationship. It's like, you are independent. You are your own person slash fund, but we are your only source of money. Yeah. Like you're still my boss. Yeah. It's like if you move out your parents' house, but they're still paying your bills, who's in charge? Exactly. Mm. And I mean, so Sopnik is the biggest LP, but I remember thinking out, okay, what happens with the benefit of spinning out? If that's the case. Yeah. And I guess the benefit is like in some world, Upload can now be a venture firm that takes money from other sources. So yeah. that's exciting. Maybe more diversity, hopefully, and change up who it's responsible to long term. SoftBank Latin America's early stage team, 12 people, is also entirely migrating. And I think the fact that SoftBank is still going to be investing in Latin America, but more from a growth stage perspective is yeah. interesting. Well, this actually makes some sense to me. I mean, like when you think about most firms in history, they've picked a either topic area to invest like biotech or a stage, like we're a series A firm, but we're generalist. Right. And those are the two main axes you can kind of think about venture capital along. SoftBank has been writing checks around the world of varying size for so long. A little specialization probably doesn't hurt. And 
to yeah. have a team that's dedicated, that's more local, that can have a brand that's a little bit apart from the drama of SoftBank, frankly. Right. I feel like SoftBank, is, it's either in its like pivot stage or its renovation stage. I don't know which is the right word right now, but they are changing a lot of how they structure funds. A few weeks ago, maybe last month, SoftBank announced that it's fund that's focusing on diverse founders, which is, I believe, its opportunity fund. Yeah. They are turning that into an evergreen investment vehicle. So oh, now right. they don't that's have right. to really share how much money they're really investing. And they say that they plan to invest more than they originally did. So that's good. And now we're seeing them spin out. And I'm like, okay, you're doing a lot of things. Like what is happening? And I wonder, I think part of it is like, hey, Tiger's now in the early stage. Tiger's loud. Tiger took SoftBank spotlight a little bit. So that's part of the reason. And then let's not forget, they lost their COO, Marcelo Clore, just a few months ago over a compensation. But why is that ironic in this particular case? So this is my favorite. So me and Marianne covered the story together pretty late at night and we were just doing some backgrounder research. And I spotted something that was like, Marcelo Clore asks for SoftBank to spin out its Latin American arm. One, because it's great for optics. Like we are betting so big that we're dedicating an entire firm to it. And he clashed with the founder about this the founder of SoftBank. And so I kind of love that now Marcelo's left and SoftBank is doing it. Not in the exact way, like obviously they didn't spin out the entire thing, but they're doing it. It's a subtweet. I'm calling it. I love this drama. Bring back petty tech. Bring, well, I think we've really, with the start of this show with Elon Musk, we've really re-entered the era in which tech is much more petty. The SaaS era of tech was boring, if yeah. lucrative. <laughs> the Web3 era is loud, if annoying, but the pettiness is Ooh. just, it's the gen in the cocktail, you know? Like, it really adds that extra element or dimension to it that makes it a lot more fun for us, because how many times do we read relatively mundane updates, and then suddenly Elon drops an unsolicited bid for an all-cash Twitter purchase? Oh, okay. Exactly. It's also just like, it is fun as a journalist, because we have to kind of sort out if we're going to be covering drama or if we're covering news, and it blurs. And the fun part about being a TechCrunch, not to be too kiss-assy to TechCrunch, but <laughs> we work here, and it's cool because we can kind of make jokes in our headlines and have fun and be like, oh yeah, why is Elon doing this? And that can be the story. So, so but the question really is, is it kissy or is it kiss -assy? Couldn't tell you. Yeah, we should get Henry to I weigh in on that for the official the TechCrunch style guide so we can get it right yeah. in our headlines. We wouldn't <laughs> want to make a grammatical error <laughs> exactly. with our profanities. <laughs> As you can tell, my voice is a little bit shot because I travel a bunch and oh, we have a lot of talking to do and we need to shut up. Yes, we do. And go have a cold sandwich for lunch and then do some more sessions. <laughs> Alex, it is so fun to see you in person. I know. I wish we could record equity together in person more. Well, soon we will be able to have our studio back and then soon I will be able to come out more often and then we can do this. It'll be so great. This is the first time, not the only time. Yes, 100%. And Marion will be back next week. We decided to do kind of a live in studio one this week, but back to normal remote recording next week. Yeah, and by live in studio, we mean recorded in the green room. Yes. But Natasha was <laughs> speaking fairly. It was actually okay to do this. People have been walking around, but no one's tried to talk to us while we've been recording. Yes, so. I think Lucas took a picture of us, so we need to make sure that doesn't go on the internet. Oh, it's probably already on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All Definitely. right, this is Equity. I'm Alex. That's Natasha. We're out of here. Bye.